Beverly Callard joins us this week on the How To Be 60 podcast. And sorry to disappoint Coronation Street fans, but after 33 years squeezed into spandex playing Liz McDonald, she's happy to leave the cobbles behind. Coronation Street was great, but it's a factory. You do as you're told. And now I don't have to do as I'm told, and I do quite like that. And I'm wondering how to be 60. It's scaring the shit out of me. Welcome to the How To Be 60 podcast with me, Kay Adams, and her, Karen McKenzie, and sitting in front of us something that... Well, I'm not sure what it is. Um, I'm thinking it's blueberry cake. It's blue. Well, it used to be blueberry cake. It's not blueberry cake. Admittedly, no. it looks like the contents of a sick bag. Your sick bag? Well, I don't know. I mean, has that blueberry cake been down and come back up again? <laughs> and why have you brought it in here? I was out for lunch with a friend, oh, and nice. as a, a bit late, actually, you cruised in here five colleague, minutes ago. Former colleague. All right. Yeah, actually, I didn't realise. And of course, the cake is in a box on my bike. And there's a few potholes out there. So actually, um, the cake got it taste it. thrown around. So you actually paid for this? You didn't make it yourself? And no. Mm. Do you know what? In the, it was oh, a, oh, no. That's fine. Oh, it it's, tastes like perfume. I think it's because there's oh, thyme in it. There's fresh herb, herbs in it. Really? Um, in a quite a trendy shop. And you know what? The thing is, don't put your slavery spoon over the bit. Not the spoon, not me. No, but you've actually had it in your mouth. I I do warn Um, you, everyone, we're going to be more bickery than uh, ever today because we've already had a dose of each other today, haven't we? All I'm saying is all the cakes were either gluten-free or vegan. And I thought, what's happened to the normal? What's happened to the normal cake? Let me get one with perfume in and then I'll jiggle up and down on my bike. A full fat shot. (laughs) Anyway, I'm quite happy. You don't like it. I'm going to eat it. So don't be moaning at me or asking me anything with my mouth full. Right. What are you saying? Yeah, we worked with each other already this morning. I know, I know, I know. And that was a mess. Well, it wasn't a mess. You slag me off. You're always slagging me off. Well, you love it. You actually love it, don't no, you? No, but I've got no control of that microphone and you oh, have. You just shut it on me. I know, but let's face it. Your day-to-day life is pretty dull. And when I come into your life and jazz it up, you like well, it. You were admiring my brows, weren't you? But you're going to see your brows for a minute. Your brows. We'll talk about them in a minute. Oh, right. What size am I again? I was... That's an HRT size. As soon as you go off HRT, no, uh, uh, no, yes, it is. About that, I'm, what I'm, what, I keep boasting that I'm a thirty-two double D. Thirty-two double D. I'd forgotten. Is it thirty-two double D? That's what I was when I was pregnant. Uh, when I was breastfeeding, I I've got a new put fancy one with me. I'll show you in a minute. No. But anyway, I wanted to talk about my brows. Your your Dennis Healy brows. No, it's, they are quite beautiful. Look, they are good. My brows, and I was just saying to you, you that your them? brows. And it made me think, actually, as I was cycling home, because your brows are obviously a bit thin now, you know, obviously, and they've gone a bit coarse, haven't they, with the grey? They have not. Um, they have so. Oh, I can't even and see them. Do you know what? That is a classic sign of age. Because when you're a young woman, you don't want hair, you shave your armpits, mm-hmm. you shave, well, I didn't. Did you ever shave down there? It didn't neaten it up. Yeah, but just a wee trim, just a prune. Oh, not the whole no. shebang. No, no, no that's no, no, weird. Not the sh- I think. Shebang, no. That's just Whereas now you get to this age and it it doesn't grow anymore. Do you know what? It's brilliant, your underarms. Oh, don't know how often I have to get them waxed. My daughter Alex waxes them. But see, I find it quite sad. Actually, can I just say, I remember, because she does wax, she's got the waxing tub and all the rest of it. The first time I'd said to her, would you do my legs, my arms and my bikini? She was like, oh... I need to have you a glass of wine. You've to do your bikini. Poor Al. Oh. She must have been in her early 20s. Probably not even that, actually. And she's like, 
Mom, can I get a glass of red wine first? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, God, is that wise or not? And it's over those wax strips. Oh, I know. That's yeah. a good job. That's really inappropriate. I don't. Is think, it? I think, don't think you should have asked her to it's do that. It's a girl. It's not no, a boy. That's too much to ask of a child. I, I, just, I really do think. It, I think it was tra traumatising. Yeah. Can't you actually listen to this podcast? That's another thing that's traumatising for them both. Yeah. I, uh, I remember going to, I've never had my bikini wax. I wouldn't want anyone that close. No. That's can... that intimacy problem again. Well, I, I, I perfectly defend it. I don't want anyone putting us. We're talking about people. It's a bit like saying, Oh, I'm not gonna go and give birth. Do anyone looking at me downstairs? Well, I wasn't He's keen on that either, to be honest. <laughs> Did no. you have the blanket up? God, you know, I remember when uh, I had Charlie, it was an emergency cesarean. And oh. then you give up halfway through, don't you? You just say, Oh, if you want to look, have a look. I don't care anymore. Oh, I think you're uh, well beyond it by that time. Yeah, you're gone. But anyway, it was an emergency cesarean and so blue lights, blah blah, and you get we threw on a trolley into the, the theatre. And where it is, it was a Glasgow, the old Queen Mum. Yes. And the theatre was right on a corridor, a very busy corridor, mm -hmm. to like rattling up and down. And they had the door open the whole time. So I'm having a scissor. <laughs> the legs are up in the stirrups and I'm looking through and all I'm seeing is a parade of porters going back and forth, back and forth with other people. And I'm like, hello. Is that Carol Smiley? <laughs> Carol Smiley. I should have shouted, hi, Carol Smiley here. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, you don't care, do you, when you're at that stage? No, you don't give a monkey's. I really couldn't don't have cared, I think. Fine. Yes, indeed. Um, I had a funny thing the other day. Charlie, my daughter, who is the, now 20 years on. There you go. God, right, yes, I was yes. going through to Edinburgh to see her, and uh, she texted me when I was on the train, and she said, what are you wearing? Because we've got the same coat. And so God, she, just to make sure that you didn't turn up, that would be nasty. to make sure that I didn't yes. have the same coat on. And so she just said, what coat have you got on? And I was being lazy, so I had my phone in my hand. So I just took a picture of myself so that she could see the coat. But I cut my head off. Oh. But, well, because it was just the coat. Oh, I guess. And But, and I looked at this picture. Oh, my God. Talking about loose fannies waxing. Were we talking about that? My turkey neck. Oh. It oh. looks like. Like a loose vagina. Oh, and I've, let me see yours. Look, look. Well, it's not see, much better. It looks like. Hang on. It does. Look. Let me take a picture of it and I'll show That's you. Right. I'm not no, honestly. Oh, it, honestly, it looks. Just as you don't want anyone. Let me see it. Let me see it. You're so intrusive. <laughs> God. No, it's not good, is it? I think that's the one thing. Oh, no way. I think that's the one thing. You can get stuff done to your face or your boobs or your anywhere. I don't know if the neck works, does well, it? Well, I think you can get the oh, neck. Can you? You can, you can. Because there's that little hair on your neck. I know, I know, I like know. Pull... Leave it, leave it. Um, but I was always quite proud of my neck. I thought my neck was really, really well. Yeah, if you stand up and go like that, it looks fine. No, no, but generally I thought it was good, but it's because the, the phone was in my lap and it was all... Oh, have you deleted it? Have you still got the picture? I'll, I'll show you. Put it online. <laughs> Put it on Insta. Put it online. Um, it was quite good, though, that Charlie and I wear the same stuff. That shows that I'm very modern. Look, there Put it is. Put the look. jacket for Oh dear. I know. Gee, that's not oh dear. I wonder if I just saw that. You know that you can see. Can Who's I just, like, do you think this is? But can I tell you yours is worse? Yours is definitely worse. I'm gonna take a picture and we're gonna prove it. Tell me, who bought the coat first? Um I bought the coat first and she copied me, which I was quite proud of. Do you know she's what? twenty. 
Yeah, you're pointing that pen at me again. I am sorry. That, that. happened with Lisa and I. I bought a jacket at Superdry. Superdry? You're a bit old for Superdry. And Lisa wanted one for her birthday. Really? Yes. Did that make you feel good? did, actually. Yeah. See, this is perfect fodder for our guest today, Beverly Callard, uh, played by played Liz McDonald, of course, mm-hmm. for 30 years in the street. Oh, yeah. I think I've been through all those 30 years. Uh, they gave her some eye-catching outfits, needless to say. Um, yeah. And I'm intrigued to know that yeah, she is Glenn. I thought the cast on Corey actually ha- bought their own outfits. I have completely made that up, but I thought that time sort. <laughs> that has made me guess. No, I did not choose my own outfit. You see, you're saying that, but it's only your word against mine, and I'm sure I read that somewhere in a tabloid. Don't and I would believe that before we even start. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Uh, did you actually, like I was actually voted years ago the worst dressed woman on television. Oh, God, that's not a clean But you're Victor Beverly, not that's you. It. It yes, character. that was Liz, not Beverly. So that's yeah. all right. Yeah. Unless uh, you buy your own clothes. <laughs> and I didn't. <laughs> and occasionally they, they would buy me something that was quite nice, you know, the costume department. But then they'd say, I'd say, yeah. I really like that. And then they'd say, great, we'll go t- take it in, turn it up. And they made it so it didn't fit me. Oh, God. And then I had to wear it. So oh, that's horrible. That was the character I played. Oh, God, it certainly was. Well, listen, we've got, we do an email of the week, um, Bev, and uh, I picked this one particularly for you. So this is from Gillian Grenfell. I love my email of the week. I want one email every week that is our favourite okay, email. Okay, I could read it out then. No, you're not very good at it. And let's, you know, we've gone back and forward in this, but we know that's the truth. So let's just stick with it. Give me so one chance. <laughs> oh, no, two, two, two chances. One every. <laughs> One, I was allowed to read it in a different accent. Okay, it, well, well, it didn't go well. Well, I let her read no, it then. No, sorry, Beverly. honestly, God, the pressure's on now. Do you think I'll let her read it? Go on then. No, go on. Now, see, Beverly, what you don't know or what you might know actually about Karen is that she recently joined an amateur uh, dramatics <laughs> uh, company. Yeah, and she has got a role, or in fact, yeah, might well, yeah, she's got a role in The Great Gatsby um, as a drunk. <laughs> so this is your opportunity. No, I'm refusing to audition in front of Beverly Callard. Your hands are freezing. That go, means on you go. Hold hands, warm heart. No, do you know the what? Email I'm the email from you. Ka- can fuck off and read it yourself, Gillian. I'm sorry about this, Gillian, because it's from you. He's just being the usual bitch, so she can read it herself. Go on, get on with it, and you- see if you cock it out. <laughs> You have just told one of our listeners who has taken the trouble to email us and uh-huh. who has actually been awarded email of the week by uh-huh. me to, no, you're not going to read her email and, you know, you just disregarded her. No, I've not. I've not. Well, Gillian, I'm doing it for you, actually. Great. Go on with it. Go on with it. <laughs> I'm listening. Okay. The email of the week comes from Gillian. Grateful. <laughs> Just, I'm turning 50 in December and I love it. I feel 21 in my head, but my body says a lot different. I laughed at your comments recently about your leopard print, Kay's present. Do you remember? Yes, I do. Did you ever wear it? My leopard print camisette. I know, I remember that. Yeah, I brought it Was to it show Pop you. Was it No, it's from Agent Provocateur. It's lovely. And it came with a hot water bottle. Oh, oh that's right. Oh, bloody hell, you could have brought that hot water bottle during the 
It's cold. Well, I didn't fill it up. It's bloody juicy. Is it? It's full up, but it's full up with cold water. Oh my God, you've kept that quiet. All I'm seeing is it's been pink freezing oh, in this room. all about that. You're really getting down. There it is. Look, there it is. I'm showing Karen now exhibit A. Anyway, I Jillian, never sorry. wear leopard skin ever. Really? Ever. Well, never. listen to this. Listen to this from Jillian. In your own Beverly. She says, I have never been a fan, but over the last year, leopard print has taken over my life. I love it. I've got a leopard print dress, a leopard print laptop bag, a leopard print pad and a pen. <laughs> Even my phone case is, you guessed it, leopard print. Now, <laughs> but this is where this is, gets interesting. Don't get your greasy fingers all over that nice cami set. You're That's just not going to get a horrible cake. <laughs> this is what Gillian's asking herself, and I think mm-hmm. this is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I've kind of been through the stage of my life. I think Beverly's been through the stage of her life too. She said, am I having a midlife crisis? It's hard work, this getting older, having to cope with emptiness syndrome, menopause, looking after and caring for elderly parents. My dad has recently been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and that has brought a lot of emotional stress as well as physical stress. Mm-hmm. Um, she also said, have you ever thought of coming to South Wales, bring the t- podcast on tour, love to see you both live, take care and I look forward to the next uh, episode. Um, well, thank you for that, Gillian. We will be in Edinburgh at the Edinburgh Fringe on the 9th, 10th and 11th. Oh, I'd love a wee trip to South Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, of August. But actually, is I don't think it's a midlife crisis. But I think if you are going through that stage of life that Gillian's describing, and I remember it well when my mum and dad were ill, there's a bit of you that just thinks, fuck it. I want something frivolous in my life. I want something I that doubt. Without doubt. Yeah. I've been through that too because mum died of Alzheimer's. And so I think the best thing to do is grow old disgracefully. Mm. I really do. Honestly, I really do. But And I try and think, I'm, I don't care what anybody of anybody's opinion on how I look and what I'm wearing, but I do care. Yeah. Try not to. I do try not to. So you would grow old disgracefully without leopard skin, (laughs) leopard print. That is what I I I think of wear leopard skin because I had to wear it so much when I was playing Liz as Beverly, yes. I think it must be the rebellious side, maybe subconsciously. I very rarely wear skirts. I mean, look, I've got my slippers on. Got a joggies and her slippers on. Yeah, my joggers on. And that's usually how I am. I like clothes that I can hide in. And do you think that is as a result of 30 years of Liz McDonald? I think it could be a bit, but I think also because of the job we're in and being on television, I think it makes you super critical of yourself. I am super critical of myself. I hate mirrors. I don't really look at photographs of myself because in that aspect of things, I have quite low self-esteem. Have you, like, I've always been like that or is that at a certain stage in your life or? I think boring story but I suffered from clinical depression years ago 2010 I was very poorly and the way it really affected me was low self-esteem and 
I hear loads of women who are uh, over 50, over 60 say, in a way, you become invisible because you don't get noticed quite as much. And Mm. in a way, I quite like that. Yeah, because you've had such a lot of attention, you know, over over the years, which is probably different from people who haven't lived mm. a life in the in the limelight, you know, because yeah. becoming invisible, mm. it well, it happens. You know, if you never feel that you've made your mark, and then you drift off into sort of, I mean, that's why, like Jillian's going back to Jillian's email, I would say to you, Jillian. Enjoy your leopard print. Oh, you know, go in- for it. Absolutely. Yes, go for it, it. It's your little quirk. It's your little thing. It gives you a little private smile. It makes you think, do you know what? There's this side of me that that I I I love. And, it, you know, it's almost paying attention to yourself. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure Gillian's not loving leopard print for anybody else in the world mm-hmm. apart from herself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's a really important thing. We have to please ourselves and take care of ourselves. And it just doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It really doesn't. And I think if you want to embrace leopard skin or leather or whatever takes you fancy, go for it, do it. So having said that that for a long time you had low self-esteem, are you now able to sort of please yourself, do things for you rather than other people? Yeah, I, I think I'm living my life more the way I would like it. And I can it's great because I can choose the jobs I say yes to. Do you know what I mean? I don't, and I'm not because uh, Coronation Street was great, but it's a factory. And it churns out a product. And so you just do as you're told. It's super, lots of discipline, uh, self-discipline as well, and you do as you're told. And now I don't have to do as I'm told, and I do quite like that. Mm. And we all have a rebellious side. And I think also you get – I'm 66, so what happens is you do start not to care quite as much but also I'm not 66 in my head I'm still my children still say I'm quite juvenile at times John (laughs) says I'm quite juvenile at times and I wouldn't want to be any younger I wouldn't want to go back but I might like to stay where I am I don't really want to get any older either but on my 60th birthday and I've always said numbers don't matter to me at all uh, 50, didn't bother, 55, 60, I was emotional all day. Mm-hmm. I I was crying all the time, but not in a desperately sad way. I, wore, I started to remember loads of things about mum that made me cry. I was thinking, my daughter surprised me, Rebecca, but I thought she couldn't make it to come and see me. And then, so I was crying again about that. Then I was crying with happiness. Every time somebody gave me another present, I cried. It was the weirdest day, God. but I wasn't necessarily sad. But it just, it like opened some emotional tap. Yeah, I think it did. 
I think it did. Hopefully I've turned it off again now. <laughs> Please to know. Wow. So what were the things that came back to you then? Do you mind me asking what, when, you, when your mum passed away? Uh, oh, it's a few years ago now. It's nine years ago. She died of Alzheimer's. And she was a very elegant lady, believe it or not. How she had me, I don't know. And it, I think it was a loss of dignity that uh, I knew she would have hated that. I don't know. It was just really fresh in my mind and everything, you know. Mm. Like caring for, I mean, I, I've I've been through that with my mum and dad. You know, and of course you remember them from most of your life. Uh, I don't know what, what your relationship with your mum was. I had a really good relationship with my mum and dad. And, uh, you know, they were both very kind of strong individuals and yeah. big presences in my life. And, you know, people say, you know, when you grew up, I think that's when I would say, yeah, I do feel like an adult now. When you see your own parents become dependent, you know, through frailty, that is when I thought, right, okay, I'm an adult now. It's happened. (laughs) That really was Yeah, that huge responsibility and that feeling of, uh, particularly with Alzheimer's, because you grieve them over and over again, don't you, rather than just the one time. So, yeah, that does make you contemplate everything, but it does suddenly make you so much the duty and the sense of love you feel. And you know that love is is going to be uh, not returned. Mm. How long was your mum ill? She had it for about 10 years. That's a long time. It was a long time. It was a long time. And I just have one sister, Stephanie, who has just had her 60th birthday. She's six years younger than me. And uh, once mum had gone into a care home, we used to visit her alternate days, but then Saturdays and Sundays we'd go together. And there were times when we just prayed for her to die, you know? And I'm sure anybody who's been there understands that. Mm. You just want the suffering to end, really. But, yeah, that makes you grow up really fast Mm. or makes you realise you are an adult. Mm. And it's a difficult thing to say that, you know, unless you know you're with people who can understand it. Yeah. Because it's not something you would broadcast. You know, I, I, I wished that it would come to an end because everything about our life is about eking it out, eking it out, making it as long as it possibly can be. Yes. But when you have been in that situation, then, well, speaking personally, I don't know, but you you view life and death differently, I think. Without doubt. And my father died uh, years and years ago. He was only 48. Mum was 47 when dad died. And uh, they adored each other. And dad went very suddenly. Uh, He had a heart attack, but he'd not been ill at all. And so I think for the people uh, living and the people who were left, that's a massive shock. But it's better to lose someone that way than watch them suffer. Mm -hmm. Certainly, that's how I felt anyway. So that 60th birthday then that that you felt very emotional, did it make you, was that, had you already left Corrie at that stage or not? No, I I was still in Coronation Street at that stage, yeah. So did that have anything to do with your decision to 
to leave? Was that a long time coming? Did you do it in an instant? Because, I mean, after 30 years, it must have been a big decision because they would have had you forever. I mean, you would still be dressed up in spandex if you wanted to be. Uh, Yeah, institutionalised, yeah. Yeah, and I'm very flattered. They they still ask me to go back. I won't go back. I won't go back because my life is too good now. And I'm just loving having some time with John, with the dogs, the kids when they're free, and just being able to choose how I spend most of my days. But uh, no, that didn't make me leave Coronation Street. It wasn't uh, because I was 60 or whatever. It was nothing to do with that, really. I just felt the scripts weren't what they used to be. Right. I'm trying to be diplomatic. Yeah, okay. Have you managed to leave before you were truly miserable? Oh, yeah. I wasn't miserable there. It's difficult to put into words, but years ago, we used to get the scripts and you'd open them and think, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. I cannot believe I'm going to be filming this. And then it just, for me, it got to... Uh, first of all, they didn't write for me as much because I was older. Mm-hmm. So that really got to me because if you're there, you want to be busy. There's nothing worse than being bored. And then I would open the scripts and think, well, we filmed that three years ago. Good. And this mm-hmm. is very exciting. And it used to be very, the street originally was very character driven. and story-driven. And I think often with a lot of television now and film, it's Mm issue-led. And I hate that, you know. I don't don't want to make a point to the audience. I personally felt that the street was so much better when it was proper kitchen sink drama. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And about people. Do you think, though, to be honest, is, is there also an element for those of us who've been, you know, working for a long time, mm. whether or not it is that, you know, you're into the scripts or, I mean, any of us who've been in any workplace, whether it's not as good or whether we've just been in it long enough, we've seen it, we've been round the block and round the block and round the block and actually there's not much more fresh in it and it is time to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt for me it was time to go because it didn't give me the buzz it always had. But it sounds as if you were able just to say to yourself, I want a different kind of life. I truly did. Yeah, I truly did. And that is what happened. And I loved my time there. And I've got the dearest friends there. Obviously, certainly at times you spend more time with the people you work with than you do with your family. And I had a great life in there. But for me, it was just time to go. So what kind of different life did you want then? And have you got it? Uh, Yeah, I didn't want to have to set my alarm for five o'clock every morning. Mm. I'm not a morning person. I wanted to spend more time with John. I wanted to have late nights if I wanted to and you know I I mean I used to do that in the early days of Coronation Street believe me but that does get to at time that's the other thing about uh being over 60 your hangovers last so much longer don't they (laughs) they do they do and I, I just wanted to be freer and I am now 
Mm. I love it. You know, if a script comes and I love it, I can say, yeah, I'm going to do this. Or if a script comes and I think, no, rather be at home and walk the dogs and feed the ducks or go out with my fitness girls or whatever, that's what I do. Oh, God, that that does sound tempting. I mean, it sounds lovely and it sounds like it's really coming from your heart. And when you're saying that, I just think, God, okay, what's what are you taking from this that you will think? Yeah, well, do you know what? Give me a couple of years, and I'm seeing myself doing that. Well, you, but that's exactly where I'm. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. sort of two years, uh, yeah, behind you, Bev, and, and two years behind um, Karen. I can see the attraction a hundred percent of you know not setting your alarm every morning, not chasing your tail, you know, not having everything in my life is in little hour boxes. Yeah, you know, everything is like that, and oh my god, I can see the attraction of not doing that. I'm probably scared. I mean, if you've been a certain way all your life. It's scary. And um, I have to say, I will never retire. You know, it's, but now I have the choice, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is great. I, I have the choice and I love that. But was it a big decision though? Not so much Coronation Street as such, but just leaving a life, a very successful career and I mean, I know you're not retiring and you're picking two scripts, but but leaving a very high profile job that you've been in for 30 years. I mean, whether you're, you know, working in the NHS or you're working in, you know, a bank, it's a big thing, isn't it? It's to life. leave that it's a massive behind. decision. Even, you know, the day I actually handed my notice in, I was thinking, oh, have I done the right thing? Oh, but I know, now I know I did do the right thing. Liberating? Oh, Yeah completely liberating and I'm much more relaxed as a person now. I don't have to get dressed up or a face full of makeup on to go to the supermarket. I actually don't care anymore. Did did they not let you take your clothes from the wardrobe? (laughs) They would have done if I'd wanted them. If if I'd taken them, I would have set fire to them. (laughs) I can't can't believe them taking them in. You know, you liking a a suit or whatever a dress and then them taking it into a smaller size to look just... Very bit lynchy as well, isn't it? It's kind of like yes, spilling yes. out all over the place. Well, of course, Bet was the the one for leopard skin. Mm. And oh yeah, I have to tell right. you, she was amazing to work with. I adored really? her. You see, though, I think in those days, that's when it was at its height. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Do you know ben. who I loved? And I've mentioned her before. I love Blanche, Deirdre's mother. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Maggie Jones was fantastic. I and wanted to be here. Blanche and Liz really didn't like each other because Blanche really looked down on Liz. And I loved that. Yeah, that's a kind of writing that you really do. You look forward to watching oh, and listen to it. Really, yeah, yeah, it was great. Years ago, uh, when uh, Maggie, who played Blanche, was still alive, in one of the stories, uh, Liz was going through some trauma with some man again. And uh, she was she stayed with Deirdre and Ken and, of course, Blanche. <laughs> and Liz had to sleep on the sofa. And so uh, it was very funny, the relationship between us all, with Bill Roach, Annika Bride, Maggie Jones and myself. It was just great. But 
we decided, I spoke to the uh, set designers and the people who were doing props, and I said, can we have a clothes horse in there where Liz has washed her smalls? <laughs> and we put loads of hideous, really slutty underwear thongs. on this. Uh, thongs, you know, like proper G-strings, you know. Yes. And it was just brilliant, just brilliant to watch Maggie Jones' reaction, you know, <laughs> as Blanche. And so you, you couldn't add lines as such, but you could, you know, add to the creativity of the show, which is a great thing about being in a long-running yeah. uh, Do you know when you were standing in the in your own dressing room, right, on your own, and you were, like, done up like a dog's dinner, like peak Liz? Yeah. What did you think when you looked in the, the mirror? I'll tell you what I thought. Sometimes... I would look so bad, I would think I cannot venture out of my dressing room just into the green room. Oh, my God. And people used to, the other members of the cast used to wait to see what she was wearing. I, I did always try and keep it very real. Uh, you know, occasionally that they would come with a, a costume department would come with quite an expensive outfit. And I would say no. Because even if she won the lottery, Liz wouldn't spend a lot of money on clothes. And also, I always said she wouldn't look at the back of herself. She would only look at the front in the mirror. And so at the back, she'd always have a knicker line. So <laughs> I always wore knickers that were too tight for me. <laughs> or a bra that was too tight. For me. That's what she would have done. But I did spend 30 years of my life with false eyelashes on, no wonder bra on. Oh, God. But was there not a bit of it? Did you not get some kind of, I don't know, I mean, a sexual thrill? We're not getting a bit perverted here. But did, you not, did it not let you explore a side of yourself that you didn't normally have? Uh, it was certainly easy, easy to become Liz. Uh, you know, but I would have those sexy, awful lycra outfits on uh, uh, behind the bar in the Rovers, but then I'd have Ugg boots on where you couldn't see my feet. <laughs> but if you saw my feet, I had to put the stilettos on again, you know. <laughs> but you say that, Kay, but we're sitting here with the camisole and the French knickers and leopard skin and leopard print. Oh, but they're and pretty tasteful, well, really. minute. The label's still on it. Oh, I know I haven't. And the birthday it. was in December. It is an age thing, to be honest. I mean, I just feel too old for them. I would just feel stupid. Oh, okay, no, that's so you not true. Your legs. No, you are not. And what you need is some. Excuse my French, but you need you need those knickers on and some shag me shoes. <laughs> shag me shoes. <laughs> Have you got any shag me shoes? Karen McNichols and lying down shoes. So, so do you still feel sexy? Sometimes, yeah. You've Not all the time, away. but sometimes, yeah. But I am really lucky because John makes me feel sexy. He's really complimentary. And so he, he gives me confidence in that way and emotional confidence as well. I'm really, really lucky. But I did kiss many frogs before, John. You sure did. You sure oh, did. God, I did. I did. Yeah. But we've been together 22 years now. Wow. So were you married three times before, John? Yeah. How did you manage to get it right fourth time? I don't know. John always calls it BJ before John. <laughs> and uh, he just pretends that didn't happen. Right. But he goes, oh, no, no, that that's irrelevant now. That's irrelevant. 
I don't know how I got it right this time. It's weird because (laughs) I've never been a promiscuous person. I didn't just date them or sleep with them. I married them. Stupid. Yeah. There we go. Were you looking for something? That's always the question you'll get asked. Were you looking for security? Were you? I don't think I was looking for security, but I think because mum and my parents were quite old-fashioned, you know, mum was a virgin until her wedding night. And after I lost my virginity, I felt really guilty. I was 16 and I did feel really guilty and as if mum would know. And that was my first love. And then he later became Rebecca's dad. Oh, gosh, I'm really going deep now. I can't can't believe I'm saying all this. You watch, this will be all over the tabloids after this. And I just felt that we had made that decision. I'd made that decision to to lose my virginity because I was madly in love at the time. You know, I was way too young and broke my parents' heart because I was quite a rebellious girl. But I don't know, I just... Every time I went out with them and I fell in love, I married them, (laughs) which is not good, is it? I think also, sorry to go back to your question, because I I went a bit yonderly then, as you do when you're over 60. (laughs) But I think I I felt a a massive failure uh, because my marriage didn't last. And I was looking for something subconsciously that mum and dad had. And mum and dad, they met when they were 11 and 12 at school. Dad used to steal a hat and all that kind of thing, you know. And then they knew each other. Dad went off, did did his national service, and then came back and knocked on my grandparents' door and said, could he take my mum out for a a walk? It's a fairy tale. They just loved each other. And they had that sort of Disney romance and I looked for that but I didn't find it how long were you married for first time oh first time only three years we were married 18 months and I had Rebecca and then we got divorced well I left him when Rebecca was 18 months old Mm. hard hard going for you yeah (laughs) and did you feel your parents disapproval oh without doubt and disappointment but of course you know uh, I had Rebecca when I was 18. Did you go back home to stay with your parents? After we split up, mm-hmm. I did, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they were amazing. They were amazing. And they loved me unconditionally, but I did break their hearts. It's, it's weird that, isn't it? Because actually probably the greater the love between you all the more you would feel that you uh-huh. had disappointed them. Whereas if, yes. if they were a couple of old grumps who treated you badly, it might be easier in your head to think, oh, well, sod them. Yeah. But the fact that they did love you and conditionally mm-hmm. support you probably made the guilt even worse. Yeah. yeah, our parents were wonderful. Both Stephanie and I were so lucky. It's funny, I've just, I was talking about that at the weekend. We were really lucky to have them and we had no traumas as children at all uh which is often not the case but no we were really fortunate so when you did meet john given that you did have three failed marriages behind you did you go into it with confidence or did you think oh jesus this might be another disaster coming up 
Well, our friends set us up on a blind date. Uh, we both lived in Spain then. John had lived in Spain for 20 odd years. So, and it was great because he'd never seen Liz McDonald, which was really good. Ah. He'd seen Coronation Street years before. Yeah. Uh, but because he'd lived in Spain for 20 years, he'd never seen her. And then the girls who came to my fitness class, all nationalities, uh, they set me up with him and uh, their husbands were all in on it and their partners and they set us up. And when I first saw him, my first reaction was, oh, my God, he's a drug dealer. Oh, God. Because he had a shaved head, a gold tooth and covered oh. in tattoos. And I just thought, who is this person? <laughs> then when we talked to each other, we got on and then he took me out for dinner the next night and then the next night and then the next night. And our first date, we'd had dinner and we'd had cocktails with some friends. Then we'd all had dinner. Then we went to a nightclub. And then, you know, in Spain, all the petrol stations have got like bars attached to them, haven't <laughs> they? And we sat in a petrol station till five o'clock in the morning just talking. How romantic. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe it? Just drinking coffee as well in a BP petrol station. Boy, I know how to live. The deal was sealed. Absolutely. So how long before you thought, right, this is it? Oh, I think we moved in together after about six, seven months and we just knew. And John had three children. He he was uh, divorced. He had three children. I, of course, had two, but Rebecca was growing up, but Josh still was at home. And if someone had said to me, you will meet someone who's got three children, I would have gone, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. No way. But it just sort of happened. But tell me, when you decided to get married or when you're standing there reading your oaths or whatever they call them. Vows. Vows, that's it. Um, <laughs> I think you know think... this when you go to court. <laughs> <laughs> She's more familiar with that. Than... No. <laughs> hey, did you think, no, it's definitely different this time and had it not felt absolutely right the last time, if you know what I mean? Do you know, our wedding was, because I was in Coronation Street and everything, it was chaos. <laughs> It was chaos. It was fantastic, but it was chaos. And the day went so fast, but there were helicopters over trying to get photographs. And there were photographers in trees. Can you believe that? <laughs> Why do they care? I could never get that. Why did they care? But and at one point, they threw a blanket at the press office at work, threw a blanket over me so that they, they couldn't get sneaky shots of me and all that malarkey, you know. And so the day flew by and it, but it, and it was wonderful, but it, there was no time to be romantic, really. And yeah. so the next day, you suddenly thought, I loved God. yesterday. Do you know what I mean? I didn't have a chance to think about it on the day. But I was really shocked when John proposed to me. Really shocked. Why? Well, because we'd lived together for a long time and we both always said we didn't want to get married again. Mm. 
Having said that, I have said it every time, but then I did. (laughs) (laughs) But but I did mean it at the time. But no, when he proposed to me, it was after I'd had the clinical depression. And I was very, very ill. And when you go in, certainly for me anyway, when I went into that black hole, and you do truly believe you'll never come out of it, but one of the biggest feelings you have is that you are unlovable. And John was amazing because neither of us understood depression because it had not touched our lives before. And he went to night school for two years doing a, uh, studying counselling to understand what Aww. it was about. He didn't want to be a counsellor, but he needed to understand to help me. And then I'd come out I was in hospital for three months and I underwent ECT electroconvulsive therapy which kills your short-term memory as well and so I literally had to have a carer at that time and that became John and then when I was on the road to recovery uh, which is long and just seemed so slow. Uh, we went to Spain and I had no makeup on. I had a baseball cap on, a sarong and a pair of flip-flops and he proposed to me. Mm. And I so didn't know he was going to do that. And I had felt as if, uh, will our relationship come to an end? Will he not love me anymore? Because you do feel as though you're unlovable. Have you, you know, in, in more recent years, I mean, once that was behind you, have the, the mm. two of you must have sat down and discussed, you know, what he did for you and, and why he stuck with you and yeah. have you had that conversation? I, yeah. Oh, so many times, so many times, cause, and so many people suffer and suffer on their own as well. And I don't think I would have got through it. Well, I know I wouldn't have got through it without him. But also because he literally became my carer. We then underwent bankruptcy. Oh, God, it just seemed to go on forever. And now I do truly, and I'm not just saying this, I thank my lucky stars. And I am so grateful. We both are just for life. And now I live here. Honestly, I do get up every single morning and think, I can't believe I live here. I can't believe my life is like this. Out in the country. Yeah. And John makes me a cup of tea every morning. He still works incredibly hard, but he does also make me laugh every morning as well before he goes to work. If you could go back and change anything, would you? Well, no, I don't think I would really because people say, don't they, you only regret the things you didn't do. So, no, I think at the time (laughs) when I've really gone wrong in life, I've thought, oh, my God, why the fuck have I done this or whatever? But no, now I wouldn't change anything. Did you ever get to the bottom of the depression or or is there just there's no answer to it? I mean, it came relatively late in, in life. Yeah, yeah, it did. The doctor said and... I had to have ECT because they tried loads of different medications and nothing worked. John said he came to see me one day in hospital 
and uh, he saw the doctor on the way to uh, my ward and the doctor said, oh, Beverly's having a much better day today. And John said, oh, brilliant. And he said he came into my room and I looked like a 100-year-old woman. And John went back, found the doctor, pinned him up against the wall and said, a better day? No. He said, she's like a zombie in there. No, no, no. And why it happened, I don't know. But they were convinced that it's, I was just, it was a chemical thing that my, my brain didn't make enough serotonin or whatever. And they had to find the right uh, antidepressant. And at first they couldn't. Uh, I, I have to take antidepressants. I do have to take medication. But to me, at first I did think, well, I hope I'm not going to be on these for the rest of my life, but I will be on them for the rest of my life. But it's just like a diabetic has to have insulin. So when you were going through, you, you couldn't have been doing Coronation Street when you were going through that period of your life then? Uh, I actually was, and I had to be written out for, they took me into hospital on the on Valentine's Day 2010. And I was supposed to have 18 months off work, 18 months to two years, they said. But I went hospital in February. I was back at work in June. Oh, God. Why? Yeah. I struggled. Why did you go back? Why did you go back? I had to. Were you trying to prove something? No, no. Uh, I had to go back because of the storylines and everything. So not for financial reasons, but for uh, pressure yeah. Mm. And I couldn't write my own name for six months. That's horrific. How did you do it? I don't know how I did it, honestly. And of course, you use short-term memory, learning scripts for a soap. If you're learning a play, you use long-term memory. But for a series, uh, a fast-paced series like that, you just use short-term memory. If someone said to me, how can you remember such and such a script? I can remember lines from a play 30, 30 odd years ago. But I, when I was filming Coronation Street, if they said, you know, the scene you did two weeks ago, how did it go? You've got no idea because you file it in the bin. You know, it's it's a weird process. And so how I learned my lines at that point was tough. It was really, really tough. And But how were you functioning socially, you know, when you were off the I, set? I didn't function socially at all. I was just in my dressing room. Yeah, oh. it was a really, really difficult time. That was the worst time in my life. And I did think, will I ever get well? But the thing is, with mental health, if you can get the right help, Anyone can get better, but it's finding the right help. And especially now, mm. there's not enough help around. But anybody who, who's listening to this, if they are struggling, if they can get the right help, they can get better. That is the positive that's there. And have that family support, which is so important. Most definitely. Oh, and friends as well. And you have to be, I think people think it's a weakness if they have to ask for help, but it's actually strong. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's And depression is the curse of the strong. I do truly believe that because you people pleasers, you perfectionists, 
uh, and etc. I could go on forever, but one has to be strong enough to say, help me. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, are you up for a quick game of Big Six or Bingo? Oh, go on then, let's. Karen's <laughs> in charge of this, I'm afraid. Yeah, I get to see something now. So bad. <laughs> Give us a number between 1 and 60. 44. 44. Kay always likes to know what it's going to be. She always keeks over my shoulder. Oh, do you still get excited at Christmas? Oh, completely and utterly. I'm like a child. <laughs> really? What do you I like about it? I love it. I love it. And we get the still get children and grandchildren presents, but still have a special one that Santa's hid somewhere as well. For each one. I love it. Oh, that's nice. Okay, give us another number. 14. 14. Have you achieved all you wanted to? Oh, no. There's still loads of things I want to do. Loads of things. What do you want want to do? I think it's work-wise, really. I'd love to work with Ricky Gervais. Oh. Why Ricky Gervais? Did you see Afterlife? Oh, I loved it. Oh, my goodness. I think he's a genius. He's very good on that. Yeah, I'd I'd really like to work on something along those lines. I cried. Did you cry? Did you watch it? Uh, Oh, she can tell she doesn't like it. I liked it. I'll tell you what, it came out at a bad time for me and it wasn't an easy thing for me to watch. Right, right. But I know that everyone has, uh, you know, loved it, but... I can I understand didn't. that, though. I, yeah. I can understand that. I didn't need a series about death. No. Yeah. At that particular time. No. Uh, but, yeah, I, I know that everybody loves it. Oh, oh well, listen, Bev, we've loved speaking to I you. It's been lovely. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. I loved it. That's it for this week. We have the Reverend Richard Coles with us next week to mark Independent Bookshop Week. And, boy, does he have a story to tell. Keep those emails coming in, podcast at HTB60. And if you're in Edinburgh on the 9th, 10th or 11th of August and you fancy coming to see us at the festival, tickets are on sale now at the Fringe website. 